I like seeing Rick up here. <laughs> Just feels right, doesn't it? Turn to Luke chapter 19. This morning, Luke chapter 19, a familiar text. I was uh, getting ready to preach this week. And as I thought about this, and as I mentioned in Sunday school, we'll kind of be looking at the idea of uh, looking at things through different perspectives. Uh, but I was thinking about how we look at a lot of things in life uh, through different perspectives than others, kind of sometimes based on the way we were raised. And I couldn't help but my mind go back to college. And the summer between my freshman and my sophomore year in college, uh, I subletted an apartment from a fellow uh, Washita student so that I could stay in Arkadelphia over the summer and work. I had a job, and I wanted to keep working over the summer and uh, making that uh, little bit of income. And, and so my roommate for the summer was from one of those higher-end Dallas suburbs. And I was from Louisville, Arkansas. Yeah, which, of course, Louisville's a little higher-end suburb of Buckner or something. I don't know, but I uh, can't give stamps too much credit. But uh, anyway, but we saw some things different, you know, and the one thing that really stands out in my mind, one day he comes in from wherever he had been, and I'm watching TV, and with almost this confused, I don't know, kind of almost disgusted look on his face, he said, what are you watching? I said, it's the Dukes of Hazard. It's good family programming. And he said, I guess if you want to program your family that way, you know. Now, for full disclosure, I hadn't watched Duke's Hazard in a long time, but I think about that just to say we look at things different, don't we? We see the world through a worldview that has been shaped by our life's experience. And as we, we look through the, at the text this morning, you know, I would, I would submit to you that that we find, we find some people looking at things through a starkly different lens. We find, uh, t- uh, we find Zacchaeus, it's a familiar story. We find the crowd, and, and we find Jesus, and we find that none of the three of them are looking at anything the same. So as we come to the text this morning, this very familiar story, what I hope we ultimately see is that we're in this story. You're in this story, and I'm in this story. and You know, maybe the story isn't what we thought it was about to begin with. Read with me in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Luke says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. For he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, They all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, 
And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the familiar stories of Scripture, those stories that we have read since childhood, those stories that we learned about in Sunday school. And, and I thank you that, that because of the Bible, it's living and it's active. And I, I thank you that we can look at it, and sometimes we see something in the story we've never seen before. And I pray that that's what will happen this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes, show us exactly what you want us to see in this text today. Help us to set aside all the distractions from our mind so we can hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have no doubt you know the story. As a matter of fact, I bet you know the song, right? Zacchaeus. We're not going to sing it this morning. Song service is over. We'll sing a hymn of invitation later. But I bet it's not going to be Zacchaeus was a wee little man. But... Um, you know, I want to take just a few minutes this morning and examine three different perspectives from this story this morning. And the first is the perspective of Zacchaeus. We're going to call it a personal impediment. Zacchaeus had a personal impediment as we come into the story. And being very familiar with the children's song and being familiar with the story we all probably step back and we say, I know exactly what Zacchaeus' problem was. I know what the impediment was that stood in Zacchaeus' way. It's a problem that Jeremy Langley has never experienced. He was a wee little man. You know, I'm about six foot six, and depending on who I'm around, I had a coworker one time at SAU who I was about an inch taller than him, and he said he was 6'6", six, six, so to make him feel better, I would say I was 6'7". And so, but I, you know, somewhere in that neck of the woods, but, you know, we think, we go into this, and we say Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd because he was so short, and that was his entire problem. And I would just say, if we read the text, and that's what we come up with, that that was his entire problem, then we've missed something. Because I would submit to you that Zacchaeus' primary impediment is not that he can't see Jesus. It's that he hadn't been trying to. Up to this point, Zacchaeus hadn't been trying to see Jesus. You see, his primary impediment wasn't the crowd. If he wanted to find what was wrong in his life, all he had to do was find a mirror. That was Zacchaeus' problem. The crowd wasn't the problem. Look at verse 2 of chapter 19. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. I'm not going to recap everything we know about uh, tax collectors in that day. Uh, two weeks ago, Brother Eric preached on the call of some of the disciples. Uh, I wasn't here that day because I was with the ladies driving them from back from the uh, women's conference, but I uh, went back and listened to the sermon and and even though we're not live streaming anymore, the sermons are still online. You can go and, and see those. If you miss those, that's a good place to put a little commercial in. But uh, Brother Eric did a great job preaching there. He told us uh, about the call of Matthew and, 
and the, the problems that they faced with tax collectors, mainly the fact that they were corrupt. They were Jewish citizens, uh, or they were Jewish people collecting taxes for the Roman government, and they collected more than they needed. They extorted people. They stole money from people. But then we read here that Zacchaeus wasn't just any old tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, which means he's most likely getting a commission off of those under him. And see, Zacchaeus isn't just the chief tax collector in any old city. He's the chief tax collector in Jericho. If we do our homework and we look up uh, what we might know about Jericho in that day and time, this is one of the largest trade centers in the entire region. There's more money flowing through Jericho than just about anywhere else. And so Luke includes this little aside that says, and he was rich. And he was rich. Based on what we know about tax collectors in that day, and based on what little we know about the little information we have here uh, about Zacchaeus, I think it's safe to say that up until this point, Zacchaeus had a love affair with money. Zacchaeus loved the money that he was bringing in. And uh, that leads me to think about uh, what Paul wrote over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and uh, verse 9. It says, uh, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many uh, foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And I think we can read those verses that Paul wrote to Timothy and we get a clearer picture of Zacchaeus. He's somebody who loved money. Hear me out on this. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having a job that pays you more than you need to cover the bills. The problem arrives when, not when you have money, but when the money's got you. The problem arrives when the money becomes our focal point. And for a man like Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector in Jericho, money was his business, money was his life, money was his focal point. Instead of our income becoming our focal point, we ought to heed the words of Deuteronomy 8.18 where Moses said, but remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, if you keep your focus on God who gives you the ability to produce wealth, it doesn't matter how much you amass, your focus is in the right place. But back to the point we've been focused on here, the perspective of Zacchaeus, his problem was the guy in the mirror. There's no doubt he could go buy anything he wanted. There's no doubt uh, he could throw big parties. As a matter of fact, we see in the text he throws one for Jesus. And as a matter of fact, he probably had a great big house to go along with that. Zacchaeus could buy any friend he wanted, probably as long as they weren't Jewish. You know, he had to buy Roman friends. The Jewish people didn't want anything to do with him. He had power. Oh my, how we human beings love power. And his power was rubber stamped with the authority of the Roman government. But you see, there's one thing Zacchaeus' fortune couldn't buy, and that was a ticket to heaven. Zacchaeus has come to find, as we get to the story, it's implied in the story that 
he's kind of figured out there's a void in his life. And see, the religious people of the day didn't want anything to do with him. But now he's found out there's this guy named Jesus coming. And you know who's traveling with Jesus? A former tax collector. This guy named Jesus. He's welcoming people like me. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself right now, but we've got the same problem that Zacchaeus has got. Now, I don't have the problem of having too much money, but we've all got the same problem in that we've got a void that we can't fill. And we've got a void that nothing in this world can fill but Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 Paul quoted from the Psalms when he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. So you see, that was Zacchaeus' problem. And that's my problem, and that's your problem. He underscores that a few verses later when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Boy, when we think we can get out of that, there's none righteous, no, not one. Say, so maybe there's some wiggle room. And then he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, A-double-L. That means you and me. No way out of it. We know that we go on down a couple chapters later in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ. The only way that void in our life gets filled is through the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. And, and Zacchaeus is figuring that out. He just had the wrong perspective to begin with. But here's something else I don't want to leave here without saying, as we look at the story, and we look at what happens, and we look through the story, and it it says that Jesus said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus wasn't just looking for fellowship with Zacchaeus one day in heaven. Jesus was looking for fellowship with Zacchaeus today. You see, one thing that we miss so often about salvation. Kids will come in on Wednesday night. We've had seven children make professions of faith in kingdom kids this year. All right? I've had the great privilege of talking to just a few of them. Brother Eric's talked to some of them. And um, I always make sure they know, I can't save you. One of them looked at me real funny. <laughs> He's like, well, I need to talk to the other guy. I'm like, no, you just need to talk to God. He's the only one that can do it. But I say, why do you want to be saved? And some of the answers I get are just, I get a wide range of answers. But I know they're kind of on the right track. When I say, why do you want to be saved? And they say, so I can go to heaven. And I say, that is a wonderful reason to want to be saved. But there's so much more to being saved than just going to heaven. Because just like we see in the story of Zacchaeus, a big part of coming into fellowship with Jesus is having the fellowship now. Salvation gives us access to him now. But you know that man in the mirror we were talking about earlier, that woman in the mirror? Now, if you're a woman, all you'll see is a woman in the mirror unless your husband or somebody standing next to you. Let's just clear that up. <laughs> but the person you see in the mirror can't mess up your salvation if you're saved. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose your fellowship. 
That's why John wrote in 1 John 1, 9, uh, to people who are saved, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So let me ask you, church member, is there anything in your life that's hindering your relationship with Jesus? Something we ought to ask ourselves every day. We had Zacchaeus' personal impediment. Now we come to the perspective of the crowd. I'm going to call these the prideful protesters. That's what they are. Look at verse 3 again. Luke says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to, to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And Jesus came to the place, and he looked up and he saw him, and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today... I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down and received Jesus joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And you want to say to these people, Look in the mirror, so are you. Two quick things I think we ought to see here. First of all, the crowd was keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. Now, there's a chance this was partially on purpose. We don't like him. He steals money from us. They had no reason in the world to cooperate with him. It's not like he's going to be more lenient on their taxes if they cooperate. He's still going to do the same thing he's always done is their thinking. Nothing benefited them by letting him through. But there's also the chance they were completely oblivious to the fact that Zacchaeus is behind them and can't see. But it ought to make us stop and ask the question, am I keeping somebody from seeing Jesus? Whether that's something I'm aware that I'm doing, or whether it's something that I'm completely oblivious to, is my life keeping somebody from seeing Jesus. And you might stop and ask the question, how does my life keep anybody from seeing Jesus? Well, don't forget that Paul told the Corinthians that the church is the body of Christ. And we are all members of that body. The only way the world will ever see Jesus is through his representative on earth, and that's the church. And so we ask ourselves again, is there something I'm doing that's keeping somebody from seeing Jesus? If someone looks at my life, does it point them to Jesus? That's a convicting question. And it's something we ought to ask ourselves every single day. This crowd, whether they knew it or not, was keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. The second point, and I think this is uh, very applicable to our day and age, they didn't like the fact that Zacchaeus was with Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a man that's a sinner, they said. And then we come to our society today, and I'd tell you that uh, we're judgmental people. Can we just be honest? Western civilization as a whole is a judgmental civilization. I heard a story, a true story about a church that I was once a part of. I will not name that church. 
but I was once a part of that church. And you would think this story happened in the 1960s, but it happened in the late 1990s. That a black family came in and sat in the service, and somebody, one of the deacons, ran and pulled the pastor out of Sunday school and said, what are you going to do? He said, no. I guess I'm just going to preach like I'd already planned to do, you know? I mean, <laughs> we're just going to have church. To this day, I mean, well, they ended up making the family, the other people made the family so uncomfortable they left. And to this day, if you go to that town, you don't have to ask very many people until you find out that that church has that reputation today. Of course, that church only runs about probably 5% of what they used to run. See, when you stop people from seeing Jesus, it hurts a lot of stuff. The Bible is clear in 1 Corinthians 5 that there are certain sins people can commit that should exclude them from being able to be a member of a New Testament church until they repent of those sins and are restored to fellowship. But there is nobody who should ever be stopped from sitting in this room and hearing the gospel proclaimed. There is nobody that we should ever walk up to on the street and we say, you know, I don't like their view on such and such. Whether that be, whether that be politics or some social issue of the day, or whether that be their skin color, or, or whether that be they're from the wrong side of the track, so to speak, and we say... I don't like what they stand for. So I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. That's the attitude. That's the perspective of this crowd. They didn't like Zacchaeus. So they didn't think Zacchaeus should be with Jesus. Adrian Rogers rightly says, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And thank God, because if it wasn't, I couldn't be here today. Matthew 9, 12, Pastor Rogers was referring to what Jesus said. Brother Eric alluded to it two weeks ago when the Pharisees were mad at Jesus for dining with Matthew and his buddies. And Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. May we always be a church that has our arms open to those who are spiritually sick. Let's not be like the crowd in Zacchaeus' day that kept sinners from seeing the Savior. One last perspective, and we're done. We've seen the personal impediment of Zacchaeus. We've, we've seen the prideful protesters. And our last perspective is that of Jesus, the pursuing Savior. Aren't you thankful for that? Look at verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice this. The reaction of the crowd didn't change the mission of the Savior. Did you see that? The crowd 
did not want Zacchaeus to be with Jesus, didn't think Jesus ought to be around people as bad as Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't ask their opinion. Jesus came with a mission. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. All this time we look at this story and we say, I thought the story was about a wee little man who wanted to see Jesus so bad that he just stripped himself of his dignity and he did something that no grown man in his right mind would have ever done in that day. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And we think that's the whole point of the story sometimes. But what we realize is that when Jesus enters into the story, he does what he does so oftentimes, and he flips the script. Because the story is not about Zacchaeus seeking to see the Savior. The story from the very beginning, from chapter 19, verse 1, has been about how Jesus came to seek Zacchaeus. It was never about Zacchaeus seeking the Savior. The story is about this great reversal of roles. The one who thought he had everything meets the one who can give him the only thing he could never get on his own. I praise the Lord that he's still in the business of seeking the lost today. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to have our invitation this morning. and It just comes down to two questions. The first question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because the same Savior who went to seek Zacchaeus that day is seeking you today if you've never trusted him as your Savior. Maybe you say, well, I've been waiting. Waiting on what? Paul told the Corinthians, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Would you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Well, we've already quoted, uh, or maybe I, I don't remember if I quoted it or not, but my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 13 says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's seeking you. Would you call on him to save you? Second question, maybe you are saved. Maybe you understand the fact you can never lose your salvation. But maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you've, you're lost, not in that you've lost your salvation, but you've lost your fellowship. Can I tell you, this is the same Savior who leaves the 99 and searches for the one. And he's looking for you today. He wants to restore your fellowship today. If you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Jesus is seeking. Will we respond? Let's stand and sing.